with you. We are in the fourth week of a series that we've been doing here in Musenberg called It's Not About Sunday. That's why we have this nice graphic. That's why we have this banner up here, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. That is the notices. That's not what we're looking for. There we go. Right, and, uh, and really what we've been doing in this series is we've been unpacking and working through an understanding of what it means to be the church when we're not here on a Sunday morning. Because being the church is not about the hour and a half that we spend together on a Sunday morning, but it's about the 24 hours a day, seven days a week that we spend as the church in the rest of our lives. And so we've been working through the book of 2 Corinthians for a couple of chapters. We, we started in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we've been working our way through. We're going to end up at the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we saw that in the first week, we saw that God has placed this incredible deposit in us, this, what he calls the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This incredible glory has been placed into each one of us, and we're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next to become more and more like him. And then after that, the week after Tom was preaching, he shared with us how that glory has been placed inside of us, and our bodies are like sort of fragile clay jars. And it's when those things begin to crack that the glory of God begins to shine through, and people are able to see the glory that God has put in us as it shines out of us. Last week, I looked at what it looks like to live in the light of eternity and how the fact that Jesus was resurrected, that there is the hope of resurrection for us, and as we live in that perspective, it changes everything about the way in which we live. And this week, as we continue in the scripture, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 now, we're going to look and we're going to see that, that Paul is speaking in this passage about what it means to live aiming for the right things. And so that's what I've entitled my message this morning. And, and we're talking about what are, what are the things that we aim for in life? What are like our life goals? What are the things we hope to achieve while we're here on earth? And, and I, did some, I did some reading. I was trying to best understand how to introduce this topic, and I eventually found what I was looking for. I found one of those like success gurus who had a website, and he had his like 101 goals for life, and it ended up being like 135 because he kept adding to them and all the wonderful things that he kept achieving and doing, and it was like a real, you know, tooting his own horn kind of vibe, but it was, uh, you know, I was very happy for him. I'm glad he got to do a lot of things, but you know, what are the goals that we carry? What are some of the things that we hope to achieve? Maybe some of us here want to travel. I know I've had a lot of friends who like really all they want to do for this portion of their life, they just want to want to go around. And so they'll do it as cheaply as possible, as easily as possible. They just want to see the world a little bit. Maybe for some of us, it's the other end of the spectrum. We just, we would like to own our own home. Maybe that's a goal that we have for our life. Maybe we, you want to start a family. Maybe that's one of your goals. Maybe you want to be successful in business. Maybe you want to be influential over the lives of others. You, you want to go on exciting adventures. You want to collect a, a collection of experiences that you can enjoy and, and remember as you go through the rest of your life. Maybe some of us want to be really wealthy. or Maybe you just want to be well off enough to look after your family so that they have a good life. Maybe we want to be famous or highly esteemed by others. There are a number of different goals that we can carry and hold in life. And we get the passage we're going to look at this morning, Paul addresses this question because he realizes how often our thoughts and particularly our emotions can get confused and mixed up about our goals in life. And he knows that there, there, are, there are others in the city of Corinth that are actually teaching and modeling something that's unhelpful for the church. They're, and if you read through the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians, you will notice um, a couple of times, particularly in 2 Corinthians, where Paul speaks about these super apostles, 
Right? He's being quite sarcastic when he uses that language. And he's saying there are other people in the city that are pretending to be apostles and they are trying to lead you and they are living in a way that is not godly. It's not of the gospel. They're preaching a different gospel and really they're all about themselves. They're all about the glory. They're all about the influence and they're using religion to do that. And unfortunately, you know, if you are vaguely aware as a Christian today, there are plenty of people who try and do that as well today. Uh, and so Paul's writing a little bit into that context when he speaks about these aims and these goals. Um, and so we, when he writes this section to the Corinthian church, he's writing to bring them back to the things that really matter. And he's using his own life as an example so that they can see in him and in the other apostles that are legitimate what it looks like to really aim after the right thing. So let's jump in. We're going to read through from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verses 6 to 15. And I'll explain a few things as we go along. And then afterwards, we're going to land in a couple of the key points that Paul makes in the Scripture. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 6 to 15. You can read along in your own Bibles or you can follow along on the screen. He starts and he says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. And this is, this is the beginning of the passage we're going to look at this morning. And it starts with a, um, with a conjunction. So whenever you see a conjunction starting a sentence in the Bible, always go back to the sentence before, the paragraph before, try and understand what it's there for. And if you were here... Uh, last week, you realize what Paul's speaking about is he's always able to have good courage because he has a sure and certain hope of the resurrection. And he knows that Jesus will one day bring him back to life and that he will spend his eternity with him. And so he lives in light of eternity. And so he's always confident. He's always optimistic. He knows that no matter what happens, there will ultimately be a resurrection. So he says, I'm always of good courage. Right? And I, I want you to notice the interplay here between the, the words home and away, which is why I've kind of indented the passage a little bit like I have. We had a lot of fun doing some prep in my office this week. And, um, and you can see Paul interchanges these ideas about being home and away with, with these statements that then connect to each of them. And, and really what he's speaking about is he's speaking about the place where he finds himself most comfortable, either at home in the body, in other words, here on earth, in this earthly life, or when he's with the Lord. Right? One day in glory, and you'll be at home with the Lord. And he said, I'd rather be there. It's a little bit like when he speaks in Philippians, and he says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Right? It would be better for me if I could go and be with the Lord. That's what I would prefer, but right now I'm at home in the body. Right? And then he says, irrespective of where I might be, and this is the key verse for our passage this morning, irrespective of whether I'm at home or away, I make it my aim to please Him. That's my goal. That's my life goal. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And just, you know, when Paul speaks about, again, being in the body, he's speaking about one day there will be a judgment. One day all of us will sit before Christ, and we will be assessed for what has been done while we've been here on earth. Right? It's really that's going on there. We carry on. He says, what is known to, but what we are is known to God. And I hope that it is known to your conscience as well. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. 
And this little section comes as almost like a little parenthesis. It comes almost as a little aside in the argument that Paul is busy making. And he says, you, you know, you, you should be able to see in us how to live. And, and God understands and knows how we are living. But it's going to be different to these other. And this is a subtle dig at those super apostles, right? It's, he's, what does he say here? He says, those who boast about outward appearance and not what's in the heart. In other words, I've got a big following. Lots of people listen to me. Have you seen how much money I charge for people to come and listen to me? So I'm important. Right? That, that's the kind of subtle dig he's making at those super apostles, but we'll draw that out a little bit later. And then after that little aside, he then says this. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live, who live might no longer live for themselves, but might live for him for, who for their sake died and was raised again. Right? This is where Paul kind of finishes and, and wraps up his arguments. And he wraps it up both with an explanation of his behavior and a motivation. And uh, as I said earlier, we had, a, we had a lot of fun. I wrote this out of my whiteboard. Uh, it's been a new thing that I've started doing recently. It's been exciting. I've got a nice whiteboard. I've got 10 different color pens. And as all the different parts linked together, we wrote them in different colors. And we were highlighting and linking. We had a lot of fun. Right? It's really cool. It's a great way to understand Scripture if you want to do it. Get yourself a whiteboard or a piece of paper and some different color pens. It's really a lot of fun. You can see some of the links that's, that happen through the Scripture. But I want to highlight for us just four things that I think are really significant for us to take out of this passage this morning, and, and I think will help us incredibly as we look to be the church 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right, so that's, that's what we're going to do. And the first, the first thing is this, and it's really the, the heart and the focus of the sermon, is that we need to know what our aim in life is. And we need to make sure that we always keep that at the center of what we do. We need to know what our aim in life is, and we need to make sure that we keep that at the center of what we do. And for Paul, as you read earlier, this was very simple. This was very clear. His aim was to please Jesus. This was the biggest, the most important, the life goal that trumped every other life goal, right, was to please his God. And I, I'm reasonably sure Paul had other life goals, right? We don't get that insight into Paul. We don't get to read his journal. We just read some of the letters that he wrote. Right? But I'm sure there were other goals that he carried in life, just like we carry different goals, things that we'd like to achieve. But all of them sat under, and all of them were subject to this one main idea, this key goal, this overarching concern to please his God and Savior. Right? Do you remember his speech in, in the book of 1 Corinthians? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he's busy speaking and, and writing to the Corinthian church, and he says to them, you know, to the Jewish people, I became like the Jews so that I would reach the Jews. And, and to those who were not under the law, to those who were Gentiles, I became as one who was not under the law, so that I could reach them. And to those who were weak, I became like one who was weak, so that I could reach those who were weak. And then he sums it up and he says this, he says, I did it all. I adapted my life. I molded my way of living. I made myself accessible to all people for this reason, for the sake of the gospel. Paul adapted his life and lived his life with the aim of pleasing God for the sake of the gospel. And our challenge is that all too easily for us, and I know this is true for me, we can let something else rise to the top of our pile of life goals and priorities. 
And so sometimes, so much so that, that we actually battle to understand Paul when he writes and he says things like, you know, I give my whole life for the sake of the gospel. And we're like, really? Like, really? That's like quite serious, Paul. That's quite a statement. Like, I'm not sure I'm quite ready to go there with you, you know? That can sometimes be difficult for us when we read texts like this, which says, I make it my aim to please God in everything that I do. And I think when I read texts like this, actually, we just need a moment to stop and to just pause for a moment and to ask God to check our hearts. And I don't want to for a minute say that, you know, we're all terrible people and we've all, you know, put God at the bottom of our pile. I can't make that judgment about you. But I don't want to ask you to just pause for a moment, and we're going to do that now. We're going to pause for, for about a minute, and we're just going to allow God to speak into our hearts. And if, and if there is something there that is sitting for us, something we've elevated above the goal of pleasing Him, I want to invite you to ask God to just show it to you. It's a really simple prayer. Any of those things maybe that we mentioned earlier, and maybe for, for some of us, even as I'm speaking now, you haven't even taken a minute to invite God to speak. There's already something that's just sitting in the forefront of your mind. Right? I, I always know God is speaking to me when as soon as I feel a conviction to do something, my, my, my kind of person rebels against it. I'm like, I'm sure that's not what God is saying. Surely He wouldn't say that about me or call me to that or, or ask this of me. Right? That's, always, that's a helpful tell for me to know that's my flesh fighting against the conviction of the spirits. And, and maybe some of you are sitting there right now and you know what that is. Maybe, maybe you, you're feeling like you're okay and that's totally fine. We just, let's just take a moment and let's allow God. So why don't you close your eyes. And Father, we just want to ask now that, that if there is anything that we have allowed in our lives to rise to the top of the pile of our priorities... And that's become more important than living to please you and to honor you. Father, won't you just show that to us? Won't you just reveal that to us now? Friends, if you feel like there is something that's coming to mind and feel like there's something God is putting His finger on, I want to remind you that it's never God, God never comes in condemnation. He only ever calls out what, we, what sin we've allowed into our hearts because He knows that it is better for us to follow Him and for us not to follow our own way. And so that's why it says it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. Because in the grace of God, He points out those things in our life where we have allowed brokenness and sinfulness to take priority. And we thank You for that, God. And if there is something that God is just laying on your heart, I want you to just kind of park it over here. Just put it on the side and remember what it is. And we're going to take some time to deal with that at the end. All right. This might seem like a really obvious thing. 
you know, making it our aim to please God. I really, you know, that might seem like a very Christian thing to say, but, but that really is the whole point of this section. Everything else exists to reinforce that and to help us work through and to understand that key idea that really pleasing God is the thing that matters most in the Christian life. Now, you're not going to work your way to salvation. You're not going to make yourself better in God's eyes. Right? But He desires from us obedience. That's why He says, Well done, my good and faithful servant, to the servant who has been faithful. Because He's pleased the Lord in obedience. Right? So that's what we desire to do. And, and so th- with this is the main and overarching thing. We're going to look at three other things that kind of reinforce and, and build into this idea. And the second thing, and, well, the first of those three, the second thing that we see in the text is that we see Paul um, showing clearly what it is that motivates him to live in the way that he does. Right? What, what is the motivation? Because motivation can be a really powerful thing. And when we lack it, in the right measure, we typically fail to achieve our aims and our goals. Uh, some of you may have been here last week, and I told you that you know, through the grace of a perspective change and recognizing that uh, I needed to make some health changes in my life, and otherwise I was going to deal with some, some other issues, right? I, uh, I, I, I came to that understanding. I needed to eat healthily, and I needed to be more intentional about uh, my, the exercise that I was doing, making sure I lost a little bit of weight, etc., 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 right? That, the perspective change was really helpful, but had I not had the motivation, had I not gone to a wellness center and someone had said to me, listen, Brad, if you don't do something about this, you will have a heart attack and die before the age of 40. I probably wouldn't have done anything. I would have carried on living the way I'd always been living because it was nice and it was comfortable, but I, d- I would have lacked the motivation to change and the motivation to live with a very particular goal. And, th- you know, this is a new journey for me. We're still on it, and I trust that I'm going to continue to be motivated as we go. It's going to be a long journey. But if we don't have motivation, we will typically fail. You know, that, that's, motivation is significantly important. We see that pleasing God is Paul's primary aim, but we also get to see why that is for him. And if we don't understand the motivation that Paul carries for this, then living our lives to please God will always be like the New Year's resolution that we make every year to lose some weight or to get fitter or to keep a journal. And it will only ever be an intention and never a reality. If we don't understand the motivation to live our lives to please God, that aim will only ever be an intention and it won't be a reality. And friends, that would be a tragic legacy to leave as a Christian. I really pray that would be none of our legacies. And so understanding our motivation is critical, and we need to make sure that our hearts are burning with fervor and with passion for God. If we're going to keep keeping the main thing the main thing, that's what we need to do. And so I hope as we read the passage earlier, you caught um, those spaces where Paul spoke about his motivation. They came in two parts, and they're kind of intimately connected together, and yet they're quite strange to put together. But Paul's two key motivations for living his life to please God is this, love and judgment. Did you see that? That's quite an interesting thing to pair together. But Paul is so acutely aware of the final reality that faces all people. Do you remember verse 10 where he says, he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due for our time in the body. 
And initially I read that, and, and I read it with the lens of Paul understands that he must appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what's due to him in the body, and that's true. But also he says, for we all, he understands that every single person one day will leave this life and he will face Christ in judgment. And Paul knows that there is only one way that conversation with Jesus is ever going to go well. When the Father holds you accountable for everything that you've done, it's only ever going to go well if Jesus is your advocate. That's the only way. There is nothing else. And so he says, it's, it's knowing then the fear of the Lord. In other words, it's knowing that God is faithful and God is just and He is righteous and He will carry out His judgments. As much as it may displease Him, He will carry out His judge, judgment. He says, therefore I live to persuade others. It's in light of the reality of judgments. It's in light of the reality that people are going to face outside of Christ. Therefore I live to persuade others. Essentially, what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, other people's eternal destinies matter to me. Other people's eternal destinies matter to me. I know what is waiting for those who are outside of Christ. I know that there is unfortunately an eternity of judgment and punishment for those who do not receive Jesus as their Lord. And so because of that, I give myself, I make every effort, I make sure that the foremost concern in my life is to please God and to persuade others to come to know Him. Because really, I carry a concern in my heart for their eternal well-being. And guys, I mean, we know this, right? This, this is like Christianity 101, unless you... It's too difficult for us, and then we jump into Rob Bell's ship, and we decide there must be a nicer way. But this is the basics of the gospel, and we know this, but somehow we battle, right? Because we don't know how to have that conversation with people, or, or perhaps we think that they're going to respond negatively to us when we share it, or, or we, we reason with ourselves that we're going to damage the relationship that we have if we actually begin to speak to them about this thing. And so more often than not, and I think this is generally true of us, maybe it's not true of you, but more often than not, we tend to be people who are silent rather than people that share. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's true for you. I've certainly seen that a lot in the Christian circles I'm a part of, and that's a real problem. And it, it came to me as I was, I had a very like, simple picture of this as I was preparing this message, but it's a little bit like you're walking along a road, and there's like a 10-meter hole next to the road, and you see someone in the hole. And actually, you, you know them quite well. And you've got a rope, like, on your backpack, but you're just like, hey, how's it going? Are you having a nice day? Oh, that's fantastic. You know, what, did you watch the rugby on Sunday? And, and we just talk about the weather, but we ignore the fact that they're in a massive pit. Right? And it's just too awkward for us to bring up. And the rope is in our bag, and we, can, you know, we have the rope to give to them, but we don't offer it, by and large. And guys, uh, please hear me, because hear me, I understand the challenge, and I'm not asking you to go out and Bible bash every person that you know or meet, right? I'm not asking you to go out and you meet someone, you're like, do you know Jesus? Because if you don't, you're going to die, right? That typically is very ineffective style of connecting with people. I'm not asking you to go and do that. But, but if we really care, 
if we really care about people's eternal destinies, surely we'd be praying for them, at least. At the very least, surely we would be praying for the people that we meet, for the people that we know and love, and yet they don't know Jesus. At the very least, surely we'll be praying and asking God to give us opportunities to be speaking and ministering into their lives on a daily basis. Surely that's the least we should be doing out of love for them. Surely we can be trusting God for an opportunity for them to say, hey, that, that's a nice rope that you have there. You know, you, do you think you could help me climb out of this hole? Because if we're not, if, if, if that's not happening in our lives, I think we really need to ask ourselves a deep question. Right? And, and guys, I, I feel this. I carry this. As, and as much as I share it with you, I share it to myself as well. If at the least we aren't feeling a burden for others, and if that isn't motivating us at the very least to be daily praying for people, to be trusting God for an opportunity to minister to them, we need to ask ourselves this question. Do we really love them? Do we really love them? And that's, that's a really hard question to ask. But I think we need to be doing that. And I think sometimes that's a question we need to face once in a while to call us back to what God has called us to do. And as I said, it's a question that brings me to repentance as I, as I ask myself that question. And I think sometimes in this, and we get so desensitized, and especially in South Africa, we're used to living in a way in which we get desensitized to problems, that we just desensitize to the spiritual problem as well. And our hearts get a little bit hard. Because it's, it's the love of God, Paul writes, that compels us. He says, I'm convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. I'm convinced that it's the love of God that was poured out for me, which is why I need to pour myself out for others. It's love and judgment, those two things linked together. That's got to move our hearts. Paul was motivated for the love, by love for the people that he met. <clears throat> And because he knew what was going to happen to them. And if, and if that doesn't move our heart, friends, we, we've allowed our hearts to get a little cold. And we need to check our motivations. All right, we've we got a few minutes left, and I, I don't want to go long, and I didn't want to spend too long on these last two things, but we see them in the Scriptures. They're helpful, and I want to bring them out for us as well. Right? There's some guiding principles that Paul sets up in terms of how do we begin to live like this? How do we live by making pleasing God as our main aim how do, we, how do we ensure that we carry this motivation? Right? And, and Paul said, there are two sort of guidelines I see that Paul brings out in this text. And the first, we get right in the beginning. I think it's verse 7 where he says, um, we're called to live by faith rather than by sight. That is a manner of living that should be descriptive of us as, as Christians. Right? And, that, and that's quite a Christian phrase as well. So it's not, maybe not the most helpful thing, right? If you haven't been at church for a very long time. But what it means is, our Christian lives should look different to the lives of non-Christian people. Our decision-making processes should look different if we're going to live in a way that pleases God. Because in order to please God, we need to live with faith in Him. And we need to live our lives dependent on Him, right? Hey, we, we kind of know that. You remember the instructions that the author to the Hebrews writes in chapter 11 of Hebrews? It's a really famous chapter on, on what faith is and what faith looks like. And he says, without faith, 
it's impossible to please God. So if our aim is to please God, we must live by faith because anyone who would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And so our call as Christians is to live our lives in such a way that we believe that God is the source of all that we need, that He is able to do whatever needs being done, and that He will do that which He purposes to do for the extension of His kingdom. And very often, that might not make sense in normal terms. Very often, if you try and reason that out, and you're sitting with a secular board on your company, and you're trying to explain to them why you feel like you need to make, go this route, they might not get it. Because our lives are informed by faith, not just by what we see and know. Secondly, Paul calls us to live lives that are others-centered. Right? He, finishes, he finishes this passage with this phrase that says that, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. That they might no longer live for themselves, but they would live for Him for whose sake, for, who died for their sake and was raised. Right? And following Jesus, I mean, this is a really simple statement, but this is a huge challenge. This is massive. When you choose to follow Jesus, and this is, this is why it can be sometimes unhelpful to sell Jesus in a cheap way to people. Right? Yes, Jesus came to save us from judgments, but He came to call us to live in a way that gives up our right to be Lord of our own lives. And we now bring ourselves under His Lordship, and we now live for Him, right? to please Him. It's no longer for our own good and our own pleasure. It's now for His kingdom and His glory. And that's going to be hard. Sometimes that's going to be sacrificial. That's a really serious statement to make. It's not simple. It's not easy. It's not quick. But it's the call that we each have for those of us who are going to follow Jesus. We live for His sake, for His glory, and to love others as He loved us. I'm going to wrap up with this last idea that, that's just contained in this passage. The reality is, Paul says, when you live like this, others are going to misunderstand you. And people, you, you, might, you might lose friends. You might lose favor with people. You might not, you know. But people are not going to understand you because you're living in a different way and you're thinking in a different way and you've got a different mindset that directs why you make decisions and how you live. And sometimes people are not going to get it. This happened very seriously for Paul. People would call his apostolic leadership into dispute. They would call his gospel into dispute. But his response was so simple and grounded, and we, and we get that in this passage for us. He says, you know what? If others misunderstand me, it's okay. It's really not the end of the world, because although I am living for them, I'm not living for their approval. Although I'm living for them, I'm not living for their approval. Because I know God knows my heart. And He's the one that I'm going to give an account to one day. So even when others misunderstand me, even when they malign me, even when they slander me, even when they spread rumors about me behind my back and they seek to cause me harm, Paul says, I've been betrayed by people who were brothers. Yeah? He, I, betrayed. I've been handed over to authorities to be stoned and killed. Not, you know, like, I spread a rumor about you behind your back that was awkward. Literally, people tried to kill him because they didn't understand how God was working in his life. 
Paul says, I just make sure that I'm okay with God and that's enough for me. And that's what we've got to carry. That's what we've got to carry. We've got to remind ourselves. This is a constant battle as well for us. To remind ourselves in the moment, in the situation, as it's happening, you know what? I live my life for the Lord. And I live my life to be accountable to Him. And even if you don't understand what I'm doing right now, you know that I'm doing it for your good and because I'm trying to be obedient to God. So that was enough for Paul. I think that's enough from me as well. We're going to close now. And, um, and I'm going to pray for us. But before I do that, I'd like to ask Sharon to just come up to the front. There was a picture that Sharon shared with me earlier in worship, and I was wrestling with the space in which to share it. And I, and I think this is perhaps the best space. So Sharon, you can use that mic then. Just share the picture that you had. And then maybe you can pray for us, and then I will, I'll close for us in prayer. I had as we were worshipping was of hearts, of our hearts. And on, on the surface of our hearts were crosses that represented a graveyard. So I said to the Lord, well, what does that actually mean? And he said, underneath the surface of our hearts, where the crosses are, are coffins. And death resides in coffins. So as I, as I prayed that through, I believe that what the Lord is saying to us this morning is that there are people here who under this, in their hearts, in, part, in certain parts of their hearts, there is death. And the Lord wants to bring his resurrection power into those dead places within our hearts. It could be as a result of pain, of hurt. It could be prejudice. It could be many different things that you've chosen in your heart to cause a closedness, a hardness, a death that you've allowed into your heart. And the Lord wants to bring life, resurrection power into those places. So I'll give you a minute just to, to, to search your heart and to see if you have dead places, hard places, places, places where underneath are coffins that are full of death in your heart. And now if you would just take time to open, to choose to open that place and to say to God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for hardening my heart. I'm sorry for the death that I have chosen in my heart.
And now, Lord, we thank you that you are a God who has resurrection power, that there is no death that you cannot bring life to. There's no death that you cannot bring life to. Nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is too difficult for you. And so, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus, would you bring that resurrection power into our hearts? The life of Jesus, the resurrection power of the living God who is seated on the throne. We pray your healing, Lord, your healing and your wholeness and your life. We thank you for who you are this morning, that you are seated on the throne, that you are alive. And we thank you for healing in the innermost parts, that you breathe with the breath of God. You breathe that resurrection power into us. And we choose to rise, Lord. We choose to rise in our hearts. We choose to have our hearts soft for you, where we are moved by compassion, like Jesus was moved by compassion, that we as the body of Christ would be moved by compassion to be and do in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you're at work amongst us. Thank you, God, that it's your kindness that brings us to repentance and that you continue, God, to mold us from one degree of glory to the other. Thank you, God. Thank you for this word that might, might have seemed quite strong and yet it calls out for us sometimes what God is wanting to do. Thank you, God. We pray, God, give us the grace this week as we go to walk by your Spirit to love you, to honor you, and to live for you. I ask in your wonderful name. Amen.